you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, what's up? Let's get into a really fun discussion. This was recorded on site in Las Vegas just after the Blueprint Conference and originally published on the Housing News Podcast. The Housing News Podcast is run by Clayton Collins, CEO of HW Media. That's right. That's the company that brings you brands like Housing Wire, Real Trends, and of course, none other than Finledger. And uh, in this discussion, Clayton and I are also joined by the Executive Vice President at Adam, the data solutions company, Rick Sharga. And we go through uh, some of the takeaways from Blueprint. And in this discussion here, you, you can hear a lot of different things, um, but there's we go over the general themes, the tone, the health of PropTech, and where some things are headed from there. You know, easily between the three of us, probably several hundred discussions over the last few days. And the overall tone, I'll just kind of lead with this and not give anything away, and then we can jump right into the discussion. But it's positive. PropTech is alive and well. It is uh, optimistic. Yes, there are a lot of very significant challenges ahead of all of us in the industry right now. And you'd be, I think, uh, foolish to not recognize that. But the opportunity is significant. And, you know, when times get tough, this is actually where you'll, we're going to find out what really sticks, um, what the ideas are that are moving the needle within real estate. And that's the whole point of this. You know, I mean, at least the way I look at it, um, the benefits of PropTech is improving the end consumer experience, improving business efficiencies and ability for people to make a living. I, I don't see it as just a flashy thing. If it's nothing more than a, a fun idea and a new tool, it's kind of pointless and truthfully, I really, I'm not interested. You know, that's not the prop tech that gets me excited about. So anyway, um, let's jump into it. I thought this was a really fun discussion. Thanks again to Clayton Collins. And if you want to learn more about the Housing News podcast and where that's at, of course, go to anywhere podcasts are streamed and just search Housing News uh, with Clayton Collins. Uh, or go ahead and see the show notes of this episode for a direct link to get more from Housing Wire. Let's jump to it. All right, but just one more thing here before we jump into today's episode, a word from our sponsor. Here is banding together and building together to make renting a home a simple and satisfying experience for all. Over 30 leading property management companies have joined Pure so far. Combined, they have over 1,000 years of experience. They deliver a high-tech, high-touch, and hyper-local property management experience for residents and investors nationwide. Learn more about joining Pure at purepm.co. All right, gents. Good to see you at the uh, the Blueprint Conference. We were out here in Las Vegas at the the MGM Grand. My my first Blueprint. Rick, is this your first? My, as well? my first Blueprint as well. Yeah, yeah Nate. 
It's my first. Your first? Wow. Yeah. So it's, a second, it's a second year conference. And I like I have to say the folks at Connective did a really good job on pulling together a lot of prop tech professionals for a second year event yeah. and um, a great speaker roundup too. I was blown away by the speaker list. Yeah. Uh, I, I was almost embarrassed to be on it because I felt so underqualified compared to the other people there. But it really, the, the best lineup of speakers I've seen for a real estate technology show, maybe ever. And I think you're just patting yourself on the back since I see a speaker tag around your neck right now. No, as I said, I, I, I felt completely <laughs> underqualified when I saw the other people on, on, I mean, people that have achieved, you know, massive success, the Gary Beasley's of Roofstock, the Spencer Raskoff's of, of uh, formerly Zillow. Um, it, it just uh, huge, huge names in the industry that, uh, that thought this was a conference worth speaking at. Yeah, I, I got in a little bit late yesterday morning and I missed Spencer's talk, but I got the cliff notes and I know he was speaking to some of the headwinds that folks across the housing and financial yep. services and prop tech industry are, are facing right now. And I, I believe that Spencer even had a quote like, hey, if you grow 5% in 2022, it's a win. Take it as a win and go charging into 2023 and beyond with momentum. What What is the the tone that you guys are kind of getting out of this conference right now, are you getting a feel for uh, a bullish view on the path forward or trepidation? Like, what are you feeling? I mean, generally, I think everybody was pretty positive. I don't hear a lot of negative sentiments. Um, I think, you know, somehow the connective, like they, they hold, you know, the best of prop tech all in the room at the same time, along with a lot of people actually coming like practitioners, other people from real estate, you know, in, into the room. But uh, everyone seemed pretty positive. I don't hear doom and glooms. I don't hear a lot of concerns. You know, there's a few cases of people here and there. They've gone through some slight changes in their business models, like the tailwinds that took people into the pandemic. Some businesses really saw a lift, and now that's settling back down. So you have to have a little bit of a restructure, a little bit come back down to earth. Okay, that growth trajectory is not going to continue, but positive outlooks moving forward. Everybody seems like, you know, they're – it's going to look good despite the challenges that we all have and all the facing at the moment. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree that the energy level has been really high. The enthusiasm has been very strong. And I think one of the realities here is you're not dealing with people who have to worry about the trend today. Uh, they're, they're looking where their business is at the, when, when we come out of this cycle. Uh, they're looking at getting funding that they know is going to take six to nine months to, to close anyway. Uh, so, so, this isn't a conference where you have realtors whose book of business is being being hampered by yep. you know affordability yep. issues today. It's not a conference full of non-bank lenders who relied on refinance loans for 95% of their business. These are all up-and-comers who are going to provide technology enablement for, for a lot of the other companies in the space. And I think they have a longer horizon on their on, on their minds. I, I, will, I will add, though, like a lot of people here definitely you know, looking to raise a little bit of funding. They're, you know, talking about their, you know, in the middle of a round and uh, people are pretty open about, hey, it's been challenging. Yep. You know, it's it, the froth is not really all there right now. So there's still those challenges, but the sentiment and the tone is still relatively positive. But let's let's also, I mean, with, with just kind of cut to the chase on, on the funding side of things, a lot of the people that would have got funded by the froth shouldn't have got funded in the first place. So, so I, I think what we're seeing right now are more, not necessarily established companies, but companies a little further along on their growth path. And we're looking at, at funders who are looking more at business fundamentals and market opportunities rather than saying, let's get three of these in our portfolio. 
which is kind of going on for the last few years. So the cream rises in this kind of environment, the, the best prop techs, the best lenders, the rest, best real estate brokerages, they, they buckle down, they put on the growth mindset and they live to see the other side. That takes some, that takes some mindset shifts. You have to change the way you think yep. about customer acquisition costs. You have to, it changes the way you have to think about how you segment your existing client database and look at like, Hey, who's actually costing us money every mm -hmm. month because of customer service or contract details. And, and where's our margin actually coming from? So do you get a feel that that some of the, the prop techs that are here right now are making decisions like, hey, we were trying to serve everybody. We're doing SMB and enterprise, but we're realizing now that enterprise makes more sense. Or like, are you, are you getting any like kind of market shift feels of where the segments people focus on? You might be giving them more credit than they deserve. I, I think the, the first fundamental mind shift is to go from cash burn to profit and loss. Okay. You use the word margins. I'm not sure if most of them knew what that meant two years ago, um, or, ca that's, or, or cared. That's that's the uh, that's like the banking private equity guy in me. I'm yeah. thinking about profitable companies. No, I, I've never I've never operated in this land of um, of uh, waiting for the next venture around. The, the other thing that has impressed me with the group of attendees here is that it's not all just startups. So some of the companies looking for funding are looking for their B and C rounds, yeah. uh, or or for their exit. And, and so they're more mature companies and they are tightening up their, their business processes. So it, it's, uh, I, I think that big fundamental sea change in, hey, this is not a cash burn model anymore, uh, is a lot for these companies, smaller companies to absorb in a short period of time. Yeah, I saw I saw one of my buddies from KBW walking around. I, I know where um, I, I know what butters the bread over there. Yeah. So there definitely is some some M and A opportunities that that might be on the horizon. Nate, you brought up the topic of M and A with me earlier on like some potential impact of the a market tightening, cream rising to the top, and what that yep. could mean for consolidation. Like, what, what do you what feel are you getting there? I mean, there's a, well, there's a handful of trends there. I I definitely think that there's still well, one of the specific ones is property management companies yep. and property management is a service-based business, but we're seeing at least those who are leading saying, Hey, we're tech enabled, whether yep. they're building proprietary systems in house or they're, you know, off the shelf, you know, operations and tailoring them to the back end of the business. They're building big businesses and they're able to take venture funds, buy at service-based business, you know, multiples, and then take their business model and dramatically increase the operation so that you can take a hundred per door uh, property management company or a hundred doors per employee property management company and make it a 300 doors per employee property management company. And now you actually justify venture level yep. valuation. So I, I think that that's something that will likely continue, but the consolidation I think is, you know, startups maybe that I either got outside of really their core focus or their niche or what they were really best at, either they join up with someone else who is already established larger and doesn't want to build that one thing, but sees how it adds value. Um, but also, I mean, it's just generally, I think we're prop tech has entered a stage where the good ideas that are actually impacting real estate are sticking. And, you know, the stuff that, you know, there's been a lot of spaghetti, if you will, being tossed around over the last few years and rightfully so, like that's how we find the best ideas, but you know, I'm not going to keep running with the spaghetti yeah. <laughs> metaphor here, but I think the best ideas are sticking around and the other stuff is, you know, going to fall a little bit to the side. Um, not to say that, you know, I don't think we've not peaked in innovation. I think some of the brightest minds are starting to pay attention and recognize and this conference is really, this is a good demonstration of the health of prop tech as an industry.
I don't know what the official attendee number was, but this is a large crowd for something that you know people think is a really small yep. niche yet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't get the, the love and attention I think it deserves. Nate, you and I have gone back and forth before talking about the definition of prop tech and what actually falls in in prop tech, what's fintech, what's real estate tech, what's mortgage tech. Has this event or like any other recent conversation shaped your view on no. who thinks of the okay, no. Zero percent. Zero percent. Look, you know the reality is, right? Property technology, it's just a combination of those two words. You know, I was saying this is a minute other day. When I worked at Keller Williams as a real estate agent, right, we had software that handled paying agents and HR admin. I had a website that could capture leads and I was able to text message through it, you know, and I had a triple dialer that could harvest some leads and call them. Was I a technology forward real estate agent by that tech stack? Like that, that no, you're mean, just a human being in the 21st century. Right. So that was a, so <laughs> but no, that means he's a technology forward world. <laughs> but ultimately, you know what I mean? That was, that doesn't make it. If we, if I tried to tell you that was, I'm now a tech enabled, you know, brokerage with that tech stack, you would say, Nate, no, that's not tech enabled. So, you know, there's some, there's still some wishy-washy there, but I think we're definitely past, uh, or, or at least, the companies that are more than just a website with some VAs in the background and a Zapier hookup, you know, to two or three different surfaces and trying to call that technology. We're really getting to the point where like it's the, it's the operations that improve customer experience. It's tapping into data so that you remove redundant processes and forms or, you know, days and weeks long delays. I think that's where you're seeing the best prop techs really shine. You know, I, 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 at the risk of, besmirching real estate agents across the country and, and around the world. I don't know any agent really who starts their day waking up saying, I hope I can be a better technology agent today. Totally. Uh, they're, they're people, people, they're salespeople. Uh, they, they like to do deals. Um, and, and so you've had the brands actually focusing more on being perceived as technology companies and they're doing it strictly for valuation purposes. So you have Compass coming out saying, we're a technology company, we're not a real estate company. Uh, and as any of their technology work, they spent, what, $30 million to build, you know, a platform that kind of works some of the time. Uh, Redfin positioned themselves. Glenn Kelman did a great job positioning Redfin as a technology company. I've been telling people for a long time, their discount brokers are a really, really, really good website. I don't know if that makes them a technology company or not. So it, it depends on your definition of technology. Right. But what I'm seeing here at, at the, the conference are a lot of companies making products that agents will be happy to use because it'll make them more productive in their day-to-day lives. Uh, whether they're thinking about it as a technology solution or this is going to make it easier for me to contact my clients mm. is, is a completely different discussion. But, you know, a lot of mobile first uh, uh, development going on and, and the tool that most agents use most of the time is their smartphone, their cell phone. So anything that you can build that an agent can very easily pull up on their on their phone and make part of their daily lives, I, I think is a technology solution that will have legs in this market. Going by that, I am now officially a tech-enabled podcast host. So. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Remember, remember the days of analog podcast hosting? It was just oh, brutal. Was, yeah, it really was. <laughs> you get the Polaroid out, you take a snapshot, you put it on the wall, and you start again. Uh, there we go. Yeah. So, so Rick, let's tie this back to, to, to mortgage a little bit. How, did you see or talk to anybody at this event that was doing anything extremely interesting in the, the home financing space or leveraging data in interesting ways to make mortgage financing uh, uh, more efficient? And- honestly, no. 
Uh, I, I, most of the contacts I've had have been more on the property side of technology than on the financial side. Yep. I'm sure there's a couple players here, uh, but but nobody has jumped up and been particularly uh, uh, exciting in terms of, of what they're doing. Um, might just be the nature of who was invited, because we, we all know there's a lot of activity going on in the fintech space. Uh, but I would be making stuff up if I told you I bumped into anybody. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have. I was trying to remember, and a lot of things are ver merging together in my head right now. <laughs> there, there was a, there's a few, and um, I, there's one vendor in particular in the, in the hall that I'm uh, spacing on. But there was a few people I, I spoke to and overheard in the hallways here. But that does seem to be a piece that is missing. Yeah. And I think some people are maybe thinking that it's not part of PropTech, but you know the reality of it is you know, either being able to embed services or to tie in and communicate and, you know, easily connect to other services. That, that's the path forward. I don't think walling off gardens is the path forward. I think <laughs> yeah. really the way forward is actually making flexible products that work with other products seamlessly, you know, just the way we expect our phones to tie to our computer and be able to send things back and forth. I think, you know, everything that's web-based, app-based, it doesn't matter. The expectation is going to be able to do that. I think that's the way forward. If, if you if you saw the mortgage panel yesterday, and we're talking about startups, emerging companies, new technology, the two primary speakers on the panel were Wells Fargo and Tomo, uh, and and you know good companies clearly, but I, I don't think anybody would look at Wells Fargo as a startup uh, or or an emerging tech company. Yep. Um, the, the gentleman who spoke for them uh, spoke very eloquently and and you know, kind of talked about a vision for Wells Fargo digitizing a lot of what they do. Um, Tomo's whole, you know, whole uh, value proposition is about, you know, lightning fast closing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, we're also talking about an industry where those those lenders and other lenders are seeing their, their volume of, of business decrease dramatically. And I, and I didn't hear anything that sounded new. It sounded like incremental improvements of existing processes, which is needed, but not necessarily exciting. The, the Tomo story is interesting. They're like singular focus on purchase mortgages yep. through real estate agents. Like yep. it's a, it's a focus that is impressive. And I, a few other, a few of the other mortgage folks I met here shared a, a similar focus of being just like completely focused on the HELOC product or, or home equity yes. product yes. Or, uh, or renovation loans. Um, so met, met somebody with each, each of those profiles. And then today I'm on my panel, I had a gentleman who, uh, who was doing an embedded mortgage solution, but only for investment and, and second properties, second home properties. So like, I think that part of the, um, that that's Vonov, Charles, Charles at Vonov and uh, like just an, an incredible innovation mm -hmm. um, and really embedding in other types of like social media influence campaigns that drive through Vonov. Like, that's like, ah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I think there's innovation happening, but it's not necessarily like in the independent mortgage bank, like Fannie, Freddie, like um, conventional box. And like, there seems to be a lot of focus and that might just be where we are in the prop tech wave into into mortgage is like, hey, you start with the lower hanging fruit, the less regulated fruit in the investment properties, and maybe that technology enables change, innovation, collaboration. Hard, hard to believe yeah. that government-backed entities wouldn't be at the top of the list of innovative companies, isn't it? <laughs> hard um, but but, uh, I, but I've heard that rhetoric change a little bit recently, little, in little. that like that 
you look at the cost to originate a loan for a mortgage bank, and yeah. I think the average lender lost $41 or something last quarter per, per loan, and a heavy burden of that is, is regulatory. But we're actually, and I, I'm going to laugh myself for saying this, we actually might be going into a cycle where regulation pulls forward adoption of, of certain consumer protections that make the processing and underwriting of a loan more efficient from a cost perspective. Uh, it's entirely possible. Look, the, 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 the mortgage, the, the mortgage panel I, I, I watched yesterday started by saying mortgages traditionally and today have been the hardest, most complicated, um, needlessly over-engineered part of, of, of buying a home, uh, of the home yep. buying process. Uh, and what we, and, and the, 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 the woman from Tomo who was talking said, you know, what we've done is we've taken paper and turned it into digital. I'm not sure that really fixed the process, but it, it at least mm -hmm. digitized it. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of step one. It, it's been interesting to watch that part of the business for the last few years. Uh, when, when Rocket launched, so to speak, press um, button, press button, get mortgage. And, and all of a sudden, everybody realized they needed a digital front end. Uh, and so a lot of the focus companies like Blend came out of nowhere. Um, and, and everybody needed to create their own digital front end. Yep. Um, that was connected to 30-year-old technology. Uh, with predictable results. So so the notion of a digital mortgage, the end-to-end -end mortgage, lots and lots of opportunities for lots and lots of companies to come in and and dramatically streamline and improve the process. Uh, but as you as you pointed out, Clayton, it's a heavily, heavily regulated industry. Mm -hmm. So every one of those changes is going to come with, you know, its own built-in barriers and mm -hmm. speed bumps yep. uh, to get you through those regulatory hurdles. So, Rick, in addition to the Blueprint Conference, I think you've also been bouncing back and forth to the hotel room to record some some TV appearances talking about the the overall housing market. And I know Adam has some recent reports yep. that have been really kind of in, insightful of what's happening in the uh, in both the performing and non-performing space. Can you can you give us an update on like some of the the points that you have talked about in your your interviews with press over the last week? Sure, we just released a report that talked about the the relative risk. Uh, of, of metro areas across the country. And we, we take a look at, at four criteria to determine that risk factors, uh, that risk, the risk factor. Uh, we take a look at unemployment rates. We take a look at foreclosure activity, the number of loans that are underwater on, on, on the mortgage, um, and the affordability of, of a property. And not surprisingly, when you think about that affordability uh, criteria, uh, three of the states with the highest number of um, at-risk metros are New York, New Jersey and, and California with Illinois, you know, coming in there as well. And those are four states with population outflow. Yes. And that, that's also, I don't think, a coincidence. Okay. Um, and, and so you, you do see that. You see relatively high unemployment rates compared to other parts of the country. You see affordability rates where it's taking somebody 50 or 60 percent of their median income to afford a median priced home, whereas historically that wow. number has been something like 25 to 28 percent. So we have seen you know, and, and keep in mind, this is not a report that says these are markets in imminent danger of collapse. They're, these are kind of like the stress tests uh, that the regulators put the banks through. So if there were to be an economic downturn, if there were to be a recession, which markets would be most vulnerable to a housing market uh, uh event. Yep. And, and so we, we've looked at, at those kind of markets. Uh, and, and foreclosure is a part of that. One of the things that, that might be of interest to, to the audience is that we have finally seen foreclosure starts. The first, the first notice of foreclosure uh, approach pre-pandemic terms uh, in August. So there were, there were about 24,000 foreclosure starts in August. 
that was 86% of where we were in August 2019. That's the highest okay. and closest we've been. But what's interesting, too, is we're not seeing the subsequent foreclosure actions, the, the, the auction sales, the bank repossessions, uh, recovering at the same rate. They're, they're trailing much further behind. And we think we're hopeful that's because homeowners have a lot of equity. 90% of borrowers in foreclosure have positive equity, according to our data. Um, and that gives them options of maybe refinancing, but probably selling uh, and avoiding losing everything to a foreclosure. The default market exists in all cycles, though. It just depends yeah. to which degree. And that seeing levels at 86% of where we were in 2019, are we getting back to like the the three horsemen of death, cancer, and uh, what's, the, what's the third one again? Yeah, death, uh, disease, and divorce. Yes, the, the death, disease, disease, and divorce. divorce. Yeah. And, and look, that typically results in about 1% of loans being in foreclosure. Mm -hmm. So in today's market, huh. 500, uh, 55 million active mortgages, roughly, that'd be about 550,000 loans in foreclosure. We're at about 270,000. Uh, and and the, the truth is that even before the pandemic, you go back to 2019, we were running at about 60% of historic levels of foreclosures. So we're still very, very healthy in terms of, of default activity. Yep. Uh, delinquency rates are running at about 3.6% of all loans. Normally, that's about 4%. So you're, you're significantly below normal levels of, of, of uh, distress and delinquencies. So I, there, there will be foreclosures because people get into short-term financial distress. Yep. Uh, and they simply can't pay their mortgages off. And it's, you know, typically it's things like death, disease, and divorce. Um, but do I see a foreclosure wave in the future? No. Do I see a housing crisis in the future? Highly, highly, highly unlikely. Everything I'm saying comes with an asterisk, though, because I do believe we're likely to see a recession in the next 12 months. And the housing market will be affected to some extent, depending on how long the recession is and how severe it is. Uh, but but it, just based on where we are today, straight run rate going forward, uh, the market, surprisingly, is still pretty resilient. Absolutely. Well, Rick, thank you for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Nate, it's always a pleasure. Gentlemen, appreciate you. Uh, and, and audience, appreciate y'all bearing with us in a noisy hallway at a conference at the MGM in Las Vegas. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next week. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great worthy listen. We'll see you next week.